0: Father, as we come to another very difficult passage, a very uh, uh, descriptive uh, passage about these horrific events that take place uh, during the last part of the Great Tribulation, Lord, uh, uh, help us to see uh, as we look through this passage, Lord, your purposes in these judgments. Uh, It's not revenge, Lord. We we know that. Uh, But, Lord, it's uh, uh, your purposes ridding this world of a group of people who who hate you who hate your son who hate your kingdom and lord uh, in the end and when you cry out it is done lord we know that you have used these judgments to prepare uh the earth for the coming of the true kingdom of jesus christ the kingdom of truth and righteousness a kingdom that we all long for lord so uh, help us to dig through this passage and see those great truths and Uh, Lord, just just bless our uh, message today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love preaching verse by verse through the Bible, and I love the book of Revelation, but I got to tell you, uh, usually I can take a passage that we're in and I can apply it to a particular day that's at hand like Christmas I usually can do a Christmas message right out of the passage we're in but it's gonna be really hard to do a Mother's Day message out of Revelation chapter 16 unless your mother's really mean and when you were eating soup and you were being bad she took those bowls of wrath and dumped them in your lap unless that happened then it's gonna be really hard to to create a message so we're gonna to have to Skip that today, but uh, with that said, let me say to all the mothers, we we uh, do uh, we are thankful for you. Uh, where I know I'm thankful for the mother of my children. I'm thankful for my mother who's gone on to be with the Lord. And I know all you mothers, you know you've got a tough job, and uh, you're a great uh, uh, blessing to your children and to your family. Uh, we got some mothers to be uh, here too, and. Uh, so we're excited about their Mother's Day uh, today. So uh, anyway, we'll keep all the mothers in prayer. But, but uh, let's dig into this, this chapter 16 of Revelation. And if you remember last time, uh, God was all alone in the temple and he had sent out seven angels And each one of these angels was carrying a bowl of wrath. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And these bowls of wrath are God executing. They represent God executing his final judgments on this earth before Jesus Christ returns. Now, the question that's raised quite often as we look at passages like this, are these bowls of wrath, are these trumpets that are blown, these these uh, seals that are opened, all of these judgments, are they direct supernatural acts of God? Or are they just acts of mankind that are allowed by God by his permissive will? And when you look throughout history at how God has judged nations, the way he's judged nations is just to allow sin to take its course and just to back off and let mankind have their way. And they do a pretty good job of judging themselves. And that might be exactly what's going on with these seven bowls of wrath that we're gonna look at today. It's certainly a possibility. Uh, uh, We are certainly capable of destroying ourselves. Uh, and like I say, you look at the history of the United States even, and you've seen God's judgments on this nation in the past. For example, uh, the Civil War, I believe, was a judgment of God on this nation. Abraham Lincoln certainly believed it was a judgment of God on this nation. Uh, In uh, the year 1863, he made a proclamation uh, declaring March the 30th as a national day of prayer and fasting. And what I want to do is just look a little bit at that uh, proclamation today. David's gonna put it up on the board so you can follow me, because I'm gonna read just a few lines from this and follow me as we go here. It says, whereas the Senate and the President of the USA, and this is Abraham Lincoln speaking, he says, whereas the Senate and the President of the United States of America devoutly recognizes the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God, in all the affairs of men and of the nations, we set apart March the thirtieth, eighteen sixty-three, as a day for national prayer and humiliation, inasmuch as we know that by His divine law, nations and individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements. We fear that this awful calamity of the civil war, which we which now desolate desolates our land, is but a punishment inflicted on us for our presumptuous sins. We have grown in numbers and prosperity, but we have forgotten God. And we have vainly imagined that these blessings we have enjoyed have been produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Sound familiar? Kind of in that state right now, aren't we? Was the Civil War a judgment upon the United States of America? Lincoln believed it was. And I believe he's he's right in what he believed. There's no, God would not allow a war as devastating as the civil war if he was not judging this nation. And so that raises the possibility as we look at this judgment of the world that it very well might be mankind destroying itself or bringing judgment on itself and God is just allowing it to happen. And we're going to explore that possibility as we look at these seven bowls of wrath today. So go with me to chapter 16 and let's begin there in verse number one, chapter 16, verse number one. Then I heard a loud voice. Now we we have to go back to the last chapter. And the the church has been removed from the temple, the heavenly temple. The seven angels have taken these bowls of wrath, and they've gone out into the world. And God is left alone. And so whose voice is this? It's the voice of God. We know it's the voice of God. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so uh, whose voice is this? I believe it's the voice of the Lamb of God. It's none other than the voice of Jesus Christ. This time, though, it's the voice of the line of Judah. And he roars and he says to these angels, go and pour out the bowls of wrath, the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Now, when we get to the fifth, or actually the sixth and seventh bowls, we're going to see that these two bowls represent or they're symbolic of the Battle of Armageddon. They're God, it's God pouring out his wrath on this earth at the Battle of Armageddon. So if you try to put this into a chronological order, uh, this isn't just the last year, the last few months. This is the entire Great Tribulation that we're looking at, these seven bulls. And, and that's why I've said earlier that they correspond with the seven trumpets and they uh, correspond with the seven seals. Really, when we're looking at the seven seals and we're looking at the seven trumpets and we're looking at the seven bowls of wrath, I believe we're looking at the same thing. And so what we're getting here in chapter 16 is an overview of all the judgments of God upon this earth during the Great Tribulation. And so uh, we want to look at these now as we we continue on. Go with me to verse number 2. And let's read verse number 2. He says, uh, we will look at the first bowl. So the first went, and so the first angel went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome, loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now remember, the angel had gone through the sky and he had warned the world: do not take the mark of the beast, or else you will die and you will end up in hell forever. Now those who don't take the mark. Who, who don't take the mark during the Great Tribulation, they won't experience these loathsome sores. More than likely at this point in the Great Tribulation, they've all been killed, and that's why we saw them at the beginning of chapter number 15. We saw the Tribulation Saints in heaven. And so they're already in heaven, and, and uh, what we're looking at now are all the people... Uh, on this earth, the wicked people on this earth who took the mark of the beast and they are, they're experiencing all sorts of pain coming from these judgments of God. Now, let's look at the next few judgments beginning in verse number three. It says, now this is fun, right? You enjoying this? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> we got to get through this. And then we, we got to get through 17 and then it's going to get so good if you just hang on. But we're going to get good today because he's going to carry us all the way to the end here if we, if we follow this carefully. So hang with me. All right. Verse number three says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it, the sea became as blood as the blood of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then comes the third bowl. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became as blood. And I heard the angel of the waters, the one who poured out his bowl on the, on the uh, waters. Listen to what he says. He says, You're righteous, O Lord. Now, here's these terrible judgments taking place. And right in the middle of this, God is going to vindicate himself through the words of these angels. Listen to what he says. He says, This angel says to the Lord, He says, You are righteous, O Lord, in your judgments. And listen to how he describes the Lord. He describes him as the one who is the one who was, and the one is who is to be. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Remember how Jesus described himself to John when, in the introduction of the book of Revelation? Remember how he described himself? I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the First, the Last, uh, the Beginning, the End, uh, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. Almighty God, that's who I am. And so it's Almighty God that these angels are speaking to. And, and, he, and listen to what he says next. He says, because you have judged these things. Now, it makes sense that it's Jesus Christ here who's doing this judgment. Because in John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, this Father judges no one. All judgment has been committed to the Son. And so this is Jesus pouring out these judgments. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. So when anybody tells you that Jesus would never judge this earth, bring them right here. Because this is him judging this earth. And, and uh, because you have judged these things. For they, the wicked, verse number 6, have shed. Now here's the reason. F- throughout history, the wicked have persecuted the godly. That's, that's the case throughout history. And, and, and from the time of Abel, we've seen the godly persecuted by the wicked and killed By the wicked, and that's why God is judging the wicked. He's about to come back to this earth, and He's going to rid the world of all wicked people, so that this earth will be ruled and reigned in truth and righteousness. And so He says, He says, for the wicked have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them their own blood to drink. For and the blood in these rivers, for it is their just due. In other words, this they deserve this. Then I heard another voice from the altar. Uh, and this voice has to be the Father. Just like you heard the voice of the Father when Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We hear the voice of the Father now. And listen to how he describes Jesus. He says, even so, Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, Almighty God. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. All right, so now let's go to verse number 8. And listen to what he says in verse number 8. He says, then a fourth angel, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. So we're at the fourth bowl of wrath already. The fourth angel poured out out his bowl on the sun, and power was given him to scorch men with fire. You know, we talk about climate change today. And I believe in some ways some weird things are happening with our climate. But we're not going to stop climate change if climate change is the judgment of God. Now, the, now carbon emissions, I'm all for reducing carbon emissions, but it's not carbon emissions that are cause, that's causing the sun to get hotter. Carbon emissions have nothing to do with the sun. And so what we see very well might be the beginnings of the judgment of God on this earth, where he begins to scorch this earth with heat. And, and what we're seeing now is nothing compared to what it's going to be like during the great tribulation and man can't do anything to stop it look man can't do mankind can't do anything to stop any of the judgments of God I mean how successful were we at stopping Katrina coming into New Orleans we weren't successful of even cleaning it up after it came in less long stopping it I mean that tsunami that hit over in the Far East and in Indonesia and in Thailand and that area How successful? What can we do to stop a tsunami like that? There's nothing we can do. That volcano that's erupting now in Hawaii, all we can do is sit back and watch. There's nothing man can do to stop the natural disasters that God pours out on this earth. And that's the case now. And in the Great Tribulation, things are going to get much worse, and there's nothing that mankind can do. All right, now look at verse number 9. In verse number 9, and men were scorched. Now here's what I want you to, watch this next part. And men were scorched with great heat, and they repented, and they said, we're sorry for what we've done, and Lord, we're, we, we, we want to get right with you. No. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these places. Now, This is an interesting word here because it says he has power over these plagues. God has power over these plagues. But that's not the word dunamis. And that's why I tend to think that these plagues are coming from mankind itself. Because it says God has the power to stop them. He has the authority over them and he allows these things to go on. Is really what it's saying there. And And they didn't repent and they didn't give God glory. And so they blaspheme God. Do you ever blaspheme God? I see, if people shaking their head, no, I've blasphemed God before. You say, oh, my God, or oh, my gosh, or gosh, dang it, or the other, dang it. That's blaspheming God. When you make light of god you call god the man upstairs you blaspheme god do you know that he's not the man upstairs he's almighty god upstairs in the form of a man but we have this tendency to blaspheme god especially when we don't like what god's doing in our lives you know i remember a couple of years ago when we were having all these floods and i lost a car I lost a roof to my house in a hailstorm. I I, I had a flood in my master bedroom and my master bath. And all of the damage was about $40,000. And I got about $10,000, $12,000 with the insurance proceeds from all of that. And I began to get frustrated. And my frustration, if it was to be known, deep down inside, I was frustrated with God. And I really maybe was angry with God. And when you get angry with God, I think it's okay to get angry with God. Moses got angry with God. How did that work out for him? Not too good. It's not healthy to get angry with, with God. I'm not recommending that by any way. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we do get angry with God. We're angry at somebody, and that somebody who controls our lives is God. And it's real dangerous at that point we were in a position, a weakened position, and we're in danger of blaspheming God. And all we've got to do to blaspheme God is say something that's not true about God. God doesn't love me. That's blaspheming God. Are you calling God a liar? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, thank goodness that Jesus said every blasphemy will be forgiven, except what? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And what you see right here in verse number 9 and what you're going to see when we get to verse number 10 and what you're going to see when we get to verse 21, over and over again you see these people blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now how are they blaspheming? How do you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You blaspheme the Holy Spirit by rejecting the witness of God. Now they've seen all sorts of supernatural things taking place from God's viewpoint. And they've seen the Antichrist doing his signs, but they've seen all these signs of God, and yet they refuse to repent and believe in God and trust in God and change their ways. I mean, they saw the two witnesses sitting on the temple mount. They saw the two witnesses, and they saw the two witnesses declaring that the Antichrist is evil and the kingdom of the Antichrist is evil. They saw the two witnesses killed. Then they saw the two witnesses revived, and they saw them ascend back up to heaven. Now, that ought to wake you up. Then there's an angel going through the sky and I don't know how he does it. I don't know if you've got an airplane with one of those trailers on it or how he does it. I don't think so. But he goes through the sky declaring the everlasting gospel of God. And then another angel comes along and this next angel comes along and he warns the people that if you take the mark, you're going to die and you're going to spend eternity in hell. And so they get all of these supernatural warnings and then all of these judgments come down upon them and instead of repenting, They blaspheme God. When they do that, see, when they took the mark of the beast, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit because they said, we don't want God, we will never want God. And let me tell you what, there's a warning there because every person in this room, you can reach a point, you can can cross a red line. I don't know where that red line is for you. But where you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, where you've said, I will never have this man rule over me. And I know there's probably not anybody in this room like that. But there's a world of people out there like that. And they're blaspheming God and then they, it goes from blaspheming God to blaspheming the Holy Spirit and then there's no hope left for them at all. Look, they know that God is, it has authority over these judgments. And they're, so, and they're blaspheming God and the God that they're blaspheming is Jesus Christ, the one who was, who is, the one who is to come. And instead of humbling themselves and repenting, they just continue right on blaspheming God. And people do that today. You see it permeated, permeating our culture. And they sort of do it in a different way. You remember when 9-11 hit, and there were some bold voices out there who proclaimed that 9-11 was the judgment of God upon the United States of America. It was the beginning of the judgments on, of God on the United States of America. People scream those people down. They didn't want to hear that that was the judgment of God on the United States of America. It was the judgment of God on the United States of America or or otherwise God is impotent. And he's a liar and he's not the God of this Bible. God allowed those, he didn't fly those planes into those buildings, but he allowed those planes to fly into those buildings. And so those were the judgments of God upon this nation. The beginning of some terrible judgments that are coming if we don't repent And we don't quit blaspheming God. But what did people do? They shouted those people down. They didn't want to hear those people. They got mad. You know why they got mad? Because they had this foolish notion that God is pleased with them. They refused to see the fact that God hates sin. He hates wickedness and he's going to judge sin and he's going to judge wickedness. And so you blaspheme God when you say, man, God's not mad at me and God is mad at you. And you reach a point where you create your own God, and when you create your own God, you've crossed the red line and you've, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and you'll go on, on blaspheming God until you die. And that's a scary point to reach. Read, let's look at verse number 10 now. This is fun, right? You all enjoying this? Verse number 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. And as this happens, watch what happens, they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. As a result of these plagues, the earth becomes dark, very dark. But not just physically, it becomes dark spiritually. I mean, think about it. You remember the Antichrist comes on the scene and he comes riding in on what? On a white horse. And so he comes as an angel of light, and he presents a kingdom of light. And he pronounces, he says, we've all entered a new age of prosperity, a time of hope and change, a time of peace and safety. And everybody believes him. But then in the middle of the Great Tribulation, he comes in and declares himself to be God. And then these wars begin to break out, and no longer is he a man of peace, he's a man of war, and his kingdom becomes a kingdom of darkness. And then this earth, through the process of these wars, becomes very dark. And and you would think at this point that people would see through the Antichrist, and they would quit worshiping the Antichrist. And they would turn and they would worship the Lord. But they go right on blaspheming the Lord. Look at verse number 11. It says, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So instead of repenting and blaming the Antichrist, who do they blame? They blame God for all their pains and sores. And so they curse his name. Who should they be blaming? They should be blaming themselves. That's who they should be blaming. For sinning against their creator, for rejecting Jesus Christ, who is their only means of mercy. That's who they should be blaming. They should be blaming themselves. Now, I believe, I, I believe there's going to be some supernatural storms and some natural disasters like we've never seen before, and we're starting to see those. We've seen storms and disasters, and it's only going to get worse. We, we, we're going to see some really bad things even before the Great Tribulation begins, I believe. I'm not trying to, again, mess up your Mother's Day, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I believe that. And I believe when you look at the impact of these five plagues, look back there, that you've got the sores, you've got the blood in the sea, you've got all the creatures of the sea dead, You've got the rivers are polluted. The springs are polluted. You've got this scorching of heat, uh, you know, with fire, the scorching heat of, of men with fire. You've got this darkness on earth. You know what I believe we're getting a picture of right here? I believe we're getting the picture of a, the effects of a nuclear war. That's exactly what I believe we're getting. I want to cheer you up some more today. So I asked David to put. I, there's an article here from Wig Stevenson, and I wanna I wanna read through and and and, and kind of look at these verses as we go through this, and you'll see where I'm coming from here. And then I'm, I'm gonna make I'm gonna try to nail down that case with the words of Jesus here in just a minute. But listen, listen to what Wig Stevenson says about nuclear war. You're gonna sleep tight tonight after hearing this. <laughs> nuclear armed countries, have warning procedures that allow them to have thousands of intercontinental ballistic missiles airborne in 15 minutes before missiles from the other side could hit their silos. Now there are nuclear subs, Russian subs sitting right outside our coastline all around the United States. There's nuclear subs armed with nuclear missiles we certainly have nuclear subs over in the Bering Sea and some where some of Russia's cities and assets are so we're ready to go too. but as he says there's not a lot of time for double-checking and on multiple occasions when American and Soviet early warning radars confused a flock of Arctic geese a weather satellite And even the rising moon for a nuclear attack, it was only the sheer disbelief of each other's nuclear commanders that kept us alive. Their radar said they were being attacked and instead of shooting back, they said, "That can't be, it can't be, it can't be. Thank goodness. They saw it that way. He goes on and he writes, he says, watch this. This is one, a one megaton nuclear explosion, releases an unfathomable, unstoppable amount of energy. Imagine, in the time it takes you to read the next word, from the core of that explosion, a fireball as hot as the sun envelops 19 square miles of one of the most densely populated centers in America. Look at verse 8. Go back and look at verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out the bowl on the sun and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Then instantly, he going on, he says more than a half a million people are incinerated instantly. In the next few seconds, a blast wave roars outward from the center accompanied by radioactive heat that causes second-degree burns on everyone within the six miles. Fifty percent of those people die within 24 hours. Many of those who survive being burned die of asphyxiation because all of the oxygen has been consumed by these fires. And then the radiation, the radiation. It's the patient killer. It takes over and claims hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives, over the coming weeks and months and years. And that is one bomb. One bomb. The runoff of radiation into the sea and the rivers will kill nearly all, if not all, aquatic life and cause the sea to be full of blood. Verses 3 and 4. He says, then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of the dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs and the water and they became as blood. Those who die, going on, those who die in the initial blast will be the lucky ones, and that's true. The radiation will cause the rest of the victims to suffer severe nausea and bleeding and painful sores on their body. Look at verse 2. So the, the, so the first went, went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and the foul and loathsome sore became upon and a foul and loathsome sore became, came upon man. And following the scorching heat will be a nuclear winter caused by the dust and ash from the explosions bringing darkness upon the land. Look at verse number 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom, and, and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And then, when we get to verse 21, there's a nuclear. There's this hailstorm, these giant hailstorms the size of cement blocks falling from the sky. Very well, that might be caused. Or that very well might be caused by this nuclear winter. Now, if these plagues are the result. Of a nuclear war. Then they don't require any supernatural action by God. To perpetuate them. None. But they are going to require. The supernatural work of God to stop them. And that fits biblically. With what Jesus said in the Olivet Olivet Discourse. When he was talking about these end days. Listen to what he says pertaining to his second coming. He says unless those days be shortened no flesh would be saved. You understand what he's saying right there? Unless I come back and stop this madness, there will be no flesh left on this earth. Now, if these bowls were the supernatural acts of God, if God wanted to stop them, he'd just say, stop. Right? But he says, unless I come back, when I come back, then mankind will destroy themselves. So I'm convinced... That these plagues that we're looking at, and some of the plagues that we've looked at earlier in the book of Revelation, are the results of man's doing, not God's doing. But they're still God's judgments, because God could stop them at any time if he wanted to. Now, it doesn't end there. Before Jesus Christ returns, we know what takes place. All the armies of the world are gathered together where? They're gathered together at Armageddon. And so that's the next two judgments that we're going to look at, the the battle of Armageddon. Read verse number 12. Then the sixth bowl, and the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. There was a time when the Euphrates and Tigris River would have kept Pakistan and India and uh, China and Japan and their armies from moving into the Middle East for the Battle of Armageddon. But during the Great Tribulation, that the river Euphrates is going to be dried up and they're going to be able to march their tanks right through. That prophecy is already being fulfilled today. Turkey and Syria have dammed up the Euphrates River and if you go down into Iraq, actually, you can look at pictures on the Internet of the Euphrates River down in Iraq, and it is nothing but a dust bowl now. And so that prophecy is all ready to go. It's wrapped up and ready to go. Whenever China decides they want to march their tanks in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Israel and down to the Valley of Armageddon, they could do that uh, whenever they wanted to. Now look at verse number 13. It says, And I saw... Three unclean spirits, like frogs. I mean, probably the frog is one of the most disgusting animals in the world, and that's, that's kind of the picture you're giving here. They're disgusting. They're slimy. They're, 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 you know, they give you warts. And they really do, by the way. You know, I, I, I was, my mom always said, frogs don't give you warts. But I read frogs do give you warts, so don't be grabbing frogs anyway. But these guys are like frogs. And I saw these three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Here you have the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity of the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. And they're spewing out, they're so possessed themselves that they're spewing out demons that are going to lead these armies like they're going to grab them by the jaws and they're going to lead them to the valley of Megiddo and there the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. Look at the next verse, number 13. He says in verse number 13, Behold, I'm I'm sorry, verse number 13, he says, And I saw three unclean spirits like, I did 13. Y'all should have told me, 14. For they are spirits of demons. What's coming out of their mouth are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and, and of the whole world to gather, them together, uh, to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, God is going to come at that point. He's going to take charge at that point at the battle of Armageddon. Now, at the, this point in the Great Tribulation, if you're here, you're either demon-possessed or you're under the influence of demons, one of the two. I can't be sure about that, but we're told over in Revelation chapter 18, when we get there, about Babylon, we're told that she has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit. And so God is going to use these spirits to influence men to join this battle, uh, the wicked, and come down to Armageddon, and he's going to wipe them out uh, by his voice. And so scary, scary stuff. What's that tell me? Who wants to be here for that? I, was, I thought somebody would raise their hand. I don't want to be here for that. I, I don't want to be here for that. And God doesn't want us to be here for that. So what he does at this point, he issues a warning. And this comes right out of the Olivet Discord. This warning is not for the people at the Battle of Armageddon. When the battle of Armageddon comes, it's too late. It's too late. There's no, there's no warning. You're not, not going to be looking up, oh, Christ could be coming soon, any day now. No, Christ will be coming right now. So the warning time is over. So this warning is just an interlude in the text where Christ warns the, his readers. And you listen to what he says. He says in verse number 15, he says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Now, how does a thief come? He comes when you least expect him to come. He could come at any time. There might be thieves in your house right now while you're sitting here in church. They could come at any time. And they come when you least expect it. And so that means that the day of the Lord could come at any time, at any moment. And a lot of people believe, you know, man, some weird things are happening or some interesting things are happening. Let me put it that way. Israel is, had just celebrated its 70th anniversary. The number of a generation is 70 years. Jesus said this generation will not pass before all these things happen. And so if, if, if he's talking about the fig tree and Israel being the fig tree and how he withered the fig tree and how when the fig tree blooms again, then these things will not, these things will all pass before, this generation will not pass before all these things happen. So if that generation is marked by the beginning of Israel being back in the land, the fig tree blooming, then the 70 years is up. That's a biblical generation. Now, there's also a 100-year biblical generation too. So if it doesn't happen this year, you've got about 30 years to get ready. But it could happen. See, this could happen at any time. The trumpet could blow and the church be raptured. And at the same time, the first trumpet of the Great Tribulation, I think the same trumpet, is blown and the Great Tribulation begins. The Antichrist is revealed. And then we go, the earth enters the Great Tribulation, heading up to the day of the Lord. And so Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Keeps his garments what? Keeps his garments clean lest he walk naked, lest he be found naked. And they see his shame. Now, how do we stay ready? How do you watch? Or how do you stay ready? You watch for the Lord. That's number one. You, when, what it means to watch for the Lord is to long for the Lord's coming. More than anything else in this world, you long for the Lord to come back. The second thing we have to do to be ready is to keep ourselves unspotted from this world, to keep ourselves away from sin. And when we do dirty our garments, what do we do? We go to the Lord and he cleanses us from all unbelief righteousness now if we don't long for the Lord I mean if all you're concerned about is this world and you could care less about the Lord and you don't care what sins or where you go or what you do and you don't keep your keep your garbage clean then more than likely you don't have you aren't covered by the blood you aren't washed in the blood you haven't been born again And so when the Lord, that trumpet blows, you're going to be found naked and ashamed because you know the truth. Y'all have heard the truth today. And you're going to be naked and ashamed when the great tribulation begins. Now, he finished the warning. He goes back to 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 the battle of Armageddon, verses 16 and 17. He says, and they gathered them together. In the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne. Watch this. Saying, it is done. It is done. Sound familiar? Where did we hear that before? You remember when Jesus was on the cross And he had finished his work of atonement and he had paid for the sins of the whole world. What did he cry out? He cried out, it is finished. And now at the end of time when all of these judgments have been poured out and the judgment of the wicked has been completed and and, uh, uh, he's ready to return, he cries out with a loud voice, it is done, it is done. Now that redemption has been completed, now that the wicked have been judged uh, and the world is cleansed, it is ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is done. Hallelujah when he says those three words. It is done. And then we finish up here. We're going to make it. Let's read the last few verses here. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city, that's Jerusalem, was divided into three parts. They're waiting, they want to divide Israel, they got to wait, God's going to divide it for them. It was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon, this the kingdom of the Antichrist was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon man, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, and finally men repent. No. How does it end? And man blaspheme God because of the plagues of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great now i've said this on several occasions you can't pin down some set chronological order for the book of revelation you just can't do it but i believe the sequence of events goes something like this there's a nuclear war actually i think there's a judgment maybe a star falls that kind of messes up earth or maybe some other natural disasters. And then we go into war, there's this nuclear war, and we get these first five plagues. And we get this plague of these hailstones that hits the earth. And then the harlot Babylon is destroyed and men still don't repent. They don't repent to the very end. They go right on blaspheming God. And then after Babylon is destroyed. Then God gathers the armies of the earth at Armageddon, and all the armies on this earth are destroyed. And Jesus returns. Hallelujah, right? And he, when he returns, he returns with his saints, and with the sword of his mouth, he destroys all of these armies that are gathered and Armageddon. And you, maybe you want to go back and read the last few chapters in Zechariah. Those of you that did the study through the uh, through Zechariah, through the Minor Prophets, you're going to, all this is going to be uh, something you're familiar with. But, but those of you who haven't, maybe go back and read that to tie all this in. But we know from Zechariah that when Jesus returns, he lands on the Mount of Olives. And Zechariah tells us, as well as John tells us here, that there's a great earthquake and the land around the city of Jerusalem is split into three parts and and then in revelation and zechariah we're told that the mountains around Jerusalem are turned into plains and from zechariah tells us that from this opening of the earth comes this great river there's this river that flows to the west all the way to the Mediterranean and there's a wh- river that flows to the east all the way to the Dead Sea, making that area around Jerusalem the most fertile land in the world. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know it's not fertile now. But it's going to be the most, uh, that area, a lot, of Jer- a lot of Israel is fertile, but not that area around Jerusalem. And no longer, when this happens, no longer will the Dead Sea be dead. How did the Dead Sea get dead? You know how the Dead Sea got dead? When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire and brimstone that came down from heaven. And in the Great Tribulation, at the end of the Great Tribulation, this river is going to open up, this freshwater river is going to flow into the Dead Sea, and all of that area that is dead now is going to become full of life. And this is a great picture of what God's going to do throughout the earth after the battle of Armageddon. You wonder after all these nuclear missiles fly, and it seems like the earth has been, all the towers have fallen. Read in the Minor Prophets how the towers will fall. They're all going to fall, and these cities are going to be destroyed, and then it's going to all be restored. Just like the Dead Sea is restored, the whole earth is going to become again like the Garden of Eden. I don't know about you, I want to be here when Jesus says it is done. Because when all of that happens, he will cry out, it is done. Now, what do I got to do to be here? Well, there are two prerequisites. The first thing I have to do, I have to come to the point, yes, it's done, but I have to, at that point, salvation has to be done in my life. For me to be here, I have to recognize that Christ, when he died on that cross for my sins and said, it is finished, he really meant it. It is finished. He paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. And there's nothing I can do to atone for my sins, not any of them. There's never anything I can do. My confession, nothing atones for my sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ atones for my sin, And I've got to really believe that. And that can never be taken away from me. If all my sins are paid for, past, present, and future, how can I lose my salvation? Because I can sin again and and they're paid for. But I don't want to sin again. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more, more abundantly. But do I go on sinning because grace abounds? Paul says, may it never be. And if your attitude is, I'm just going to go on sinning because God's going to Give me grace, he's covered my sins. You don't really, you really haven't been born again. Because when when God said it is finished, and then we receive that atonement for our sin, he also gives us his life. And his life gives us power over sin. And by the power of the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. This is the real tester here. The second prerequisite for being there when Christ says it is done. And that is, we better be longing for his coming. We better be watching. Paul puts it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, a crown of life which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, the day of the Lord, when the Jesus, the part of the day of the Lord, when the Jesus returns. And not only, but and not only to me, but also to all who have loved, watch this, this is the prerequisite, all who have loved and longed for his appearing. I mean, the question is, do you long for his appearing? Longing for his appearing doesn't save you, but if you're saved, you long for his appearing. Why do I long for his appearing if I'm saved? Because I look at this rotten world and I'm tired of this rotten world. I'm tired of the wickedness in this world. And I want Jesus Christ to come make it right. And if I like it the way it is and I long for it to stay just the way it is, there's something wrong with me. I'm not really saved. And so if I'm really saved, then I'm going to long for his appearing. And if we meet those two prerequisites, If it's finished, I'm talking about the work of Christ for our sin is finished. We've rested in that. It's a done deal. And if we long for his appearing, we will be with him when he lands on this earth on the Mount of Olives and he cries out, it is done. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure I'm here when Christ returns let's go to the Lord in prayer father we just thank you for uh, getting us through a very difficult passage but Lord what hope we have the hope of being with you forever in eternity Lord we can escape all of these plagues we can escape all of these disasters Lord by by right now doing the things that we need to do by resting in you for our salvation Lord and by by longing for your coming by making you the most important thing in our lives. Lord, if you're the most important thing in our lives, then Lord, more than anything else, we want you here with us. We want you ruling and reigning on this earth forever. We want your truth and your righteousness to reign. Father, we long for that day and we cry out Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our hope that we have in you. It's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.